there is a spiritual lens through hunting. There can be that is profound. I mean, some of the most profound spiritual experiences I've had were, were on hunts. And I think that too is something that, that can be missing because if, it, if we get this cookie cutter scenario that's handed to us at birth, which is really the case for all of us, and something starts to not feel, um, if something just feels missing, it doesn't even have to feel wrong. This can be a way that we connect back to our ancestors, that we connect to our roots. And in that primal action, we can ignite something within us that's been lost. Collective Insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. We explore the fields of neuroscience, integrative medicine, anthropology, optimal psychology, systems thinking, and existential risk. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights. So welcome to Collective Insights. I'm Dr. Dan Stickler, the director of medical director of uh, Neurohacker Collective, and I'm here hosting the podcast today. And I've got a very special guest, a very good friend of mine, Kyle Kingsbury. He's a former football player with Arizona State and a retired um, American mixed martial artist. And while fighting at his highest levels and during his sporting career, he really became fascinated with nutrition, performance, and recovery. Since his MMA retirement, his focus has shifted to learning more about longevity, plant medicine, and inner space. And I have to say, Kyle, that does not do justice for you, man. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle is truly a one of the few super special human beings that I know. And I have had the honor of knowing him for several years now and always enjoy spending time with him. And I was excited to have this conversation we were kind of forced into it because we haven't been making time to to have our conversations lately. Yeah, this is always always great. It's always a bummer when it's like, man, life gets so busy that we don't get to just hang. But um, the second there's the podcast, it's like, hey, it's in my schedule. It's going down. Now we get an hour of oh, yeah. time, and I love it. Probably a little easier than having uh, Bear and the kids running around causing a ruckus too. Oh, I miss Bear and the kids. Uh, I haven't seen Wolf since she was born. Yeah, she's, Shortly she's after just that. A, in a china shop, just like her brother. Yeah. So let's, you know, today I want to talk about kind of how we can work with performance and optimization in the current world while bringing in the wisdom and knowledge from ancient living. And I know this is an area that you have a great deal of expertise in because this is what you've been working on. So how do you see this interplay between the modern and the ancient right now? That's a great question. Uh, I think Ben Greenfield once said he wanted one foot in, in his uh, ancestral living and one foot in the miracle of modern science. And I, I, I dig that perspective. You know, I had, um, I had a boxing coach uh, when I was fighting in the UFC who was a Mayan elder. His name, Huitzilin, meant the hummingbird. And uh, he was the first guy that, that started teaching me some of these things and bringing me into um, just more indigenous wisdom and, and working with sweat lodges and Timis calls and things of that nature. And of course I was getting into the guys at paleo FX and coming out and speaking with them in Austin. That's what landed me the job here at on it. And um, really just that frame of mind starts to think about, you know, what we're doing now, you take good and bad out of it, right or wrong. And you just say like, oh, it's really awesome and convenient that my temperature stays 72, whether I'm in the car, in my house, in the office. What was it like when it wasn't that way? 
you know, and all it takes is going hunting in the wintertime. And you're like, damn, I'm super thankful that someone created this ultimate overalls, pants and coat that can keep me warm here. So I don't freeze to death while I'm hunting. But, um, you know, there are some great biohacks out there and, and some really cool things that I'm interested in from a technological standpoint. And then at the same time, nothing really replaces quality sleep, eating clean and training in different ways and then working with the elements. So, you know, if, if it's consistently 72 degrees and I don't plan on just letting the temperature do whatever it wants, you know, and living, you know, without air conditioning in the summertime, it's a good idea that I still entertain that in intervals. And, you know, sauna and ice bath, I think are two of the most important, you know, it's funny because it's, it's never really went away, but it's, it's obviously something that's super hot right now and cold. Um, but, uh, they're just, they're, they're simple things that can fundamentally shift every part of you. And, and you know, this from having done them, but entering the sauna and doing the ice bath, it goes well beyond, you know, the, the science of Wim Hof and the science Rhonda Patrick beats the drum on. It, it actually changes the way I think, feel, and operate on a daily basis. So sure, detox, sure, fat burning, sure, anti-inflammation, all that, all that's great stuff. But it influence, there's a state change that occurs. And those are the things that interest me the most. Because like Wim says, feeling is believing. And you know, there's a lot of things that people do with an idea in their mind of why it's important, where somebody will try to lose weight because the doctor says so, or the wife says so. But it's different when you actually feel the difference. When you feel that, that's the thing that becomes addictive. That's the draw each day when you wake up early at 5 a.m. and you're like, oh, man, do I really want to? I think I need another hour of sleep. And then you, if I drag my ass in there, that changes my entire day. And, and I don't get in there every morning, but, you know, thankfully, I work in a pretty cool spot. And, uh, you know, Aubrey still has his office, even though on it sold. And I can walk right across the street to Kuya and jump in their sauna and ice bath after I work out. And that makes such a massive difference in, in my everyday outcome and quality of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love, I love how you put that because, you know, I was, I was in that world. I, I went into optimization and optimization was about everything modern and technical. I, I wanted all of that. I wanted to take advantage of everything and I didn't see any of the, um, the benefits of outdated stuff or the way I saw it. And then eventually science starts bringing in epigenetics and, you know, I did a deep dive in epigenetics and starts showing all of these, these changes that occur in gene expressions with all of these different things. But again, that wasn't the full story. And I love what you said. It's the state shift and it truly is. I mean, we talk about the, the science of this and we can talk about it all day. And then a lot of people will talk about the ritual of it from the, um, from the ancestral standpoint, but what you said is really hitting home with me is that state change. I, I really love that. I mean, when did you actually, you know, playing football, I know you were probably very much on the technical edge of advancements and, you know, how do we improve performance and everything? When did you shift and start incorporating the ancestral or had you always done that? Well, it, it really came in layers, you know, and, and I had had bits and pieces of it throughout the way. Like it, when I was playing football at Arizona state, it was mostly Dra Ivan Drago, Rocky Four. So if we compare the two as Rocky and Rocky Four versus Ivan Drago, you know, Drago's got all the state-of-the-art stuff. They're measuring each punch and his punching power. He's running on a treadmill. And then Rocky's out, you know, with a log on his back, going through four feet of snow each day and doing sit-ups and, and that kind of stuff. Arizona State was state-of-the-art. 
and it was awesome. We had like a seven figure gym put in. We had one of the best strength coaches in the world. And um, we also had this giant uh, cold tub that was 40 degrees year round. And it could fit 10 or 10 or 12 of us in at the same time. These are big dudes, you know? So it was really cool that we got to have that. I was getting massages, even though I think it was second or third string most of my career. And I got to see like, oh, I'm, I'm actually optimizing in a way because I can, you know, check in on calories. I can count the macros. I can make sure I'm, I'm gaining weight appropriately just by the numbers and I can train myself appropriately. And then I have the recovery aspects baked into the equation. And so when I left that and got into fighting, I was trying to take as much of that as I could. ASU was turnkey. You know, like that's something that a lot of guys don't, don't realize from fighting is that when we get into that, there's no, um, there's no universal how-to guide for mixed martial arts because it's so brand new. So mm -hmm. it's not like everyone does strength training this way and not even on the same team. You know, I trained with some of the best guys in the world. Cain Velasquez, who was heavyweight champ. Daniel Cormier, one of the best of all time, light heavyweight and heavyweight champ. Luke Rockhold, middleweight champ. And all of us did different strength and conditioning. All of us had different recovery styles. And because of that, that, that really forced me to think and then research. You know, I didn't have the wrestling repertoire that, that Cormier and Kane had. I didn't have the jujitsu background of Luke Rockhold. And I needed it. I absolutely needed any edge that I could give myself. And, um, you know, thankfully, due to podcasting, I was able to learn about these guys. I was able to find out about Dr. Kelly Sturette, um, who I think ran Mobility Watt at the time. He wrote the book, Becoming a Supple Leopard. Absolutely fantastic. You know, a head-to-toe guide on how to do physical therapy for yourself and maintain your body and, and proper mobility and range of motion. And, and that stuff really matters when you're chronically tightening yourself. You know, I was training two or three times a day in fighting and just beating myself up and, and really limping into the fight like most fighters were doing. So in that frame of when I was in the game uh, from 2008 to 2014, there really was a whole lot of learning. It was like kind of the wild west. It wasn't like, you know, right in the beginning of the UFC when you had, you know, one guy coming in as a jujitsu black belt who knew nothing else. And then a boxer who only knew boxing and nothing else. Like we, the game had evolved since then, but there was no real finality, I guess, when it comes to sports performance and things of that nature, even though it's gotten significantly better since I left. And so that gave me, um, you know, see a need, fill a need. I knew I had uh, holes in my game that my coaches would work with me on, but there was holes in the sports performance and optimization side of things that really was the driver for me to want to continue to learn and dive into this stuff head first. Having the boxing coach, you know, working with me on indigenous wisdom and, and sweat lodges and plant medicines, that broadened my perspective a great deal. You know, and then when that ended in 2014, I realized, shit, I've been hitting the head a lot. I didn't, I wasn't seeing too many signs of that, but having, um, you know, people I was close to just two or three years older than me starting to slip up, completely lose a frame of thought. And, you know, it may happen on this podcast where I'm like, shit, what was I talking about? Um, but I'm talking like they would lose the fact that they were in a conversation. So I remember having conversations with guys who would stop and they'd be staring at me and I'd, I'd pick up where they left off. Hey, you were just telling me about such and such and just blank stare. What? We were talking mm -hmm. like that level. And I was like, wow. I mean, seriously, I, I retired at 32 and they were 34, 35 years old. So right when I got out, knowing I wanted to have kids and knowing that, you know, fighting wasn't the end all be all for me. And plant medicines really gave me that. They allowed me to, to, to rip through the identity and the hook of this is who I am as a person and 
and I'm different than other people because of what I do. All that shit got eviscerated. And um, thankfully so. And so I really changed the focus there to longevity and cognitive function. I got into nootropics and started diving deep. You know, I was an avid listener of Joe Rogan and, and Tim Ferriss's podcast and had heard of Dom, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino and, um, you know, many others. And that just kept the fire going. So, you know, the amount that I've learned since retiring in 2014 is really, I've never put that fire out, you know, and of course, spirit matched that, you know, how the universe works, you know, if you, if you follow what you love, you will find a way to make that your vocation. And um, I went on Rogan's podcast, he encouraged me to start my own, I did, met Aubrey Marcus when I was a speaker at Paleo FX, we shared the same flight, same flight home. And just traded war stories on, you know, ayahuasca to fasting to healing the brain to optimizing and performance and all that stuff. And and from there, it was like, all right, you're gonna come work it on it, and here we are. So it's been <laughs> it's been one one long and awesome um, curve to get here. But you know, I think to speaking to where you're at with diving headfirst and optimization, a lot of people do that, but you cannot leave the basics alone. You know, one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. He's a dear friend is, is Paul Check. He wrote the book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, which fundamentally changed the way I viewed food and the world. And um, he also wrote a follow-up to that. It's an ebook called The Last Four Doctors You'll Ever Need. And the four doctors are Dr. Quiet, that's your meditation and your sleep practice. Dr. Diet, what you put in your body, food, water, supplements, drugs, anything. Dr. Movement, you can underdo that or overdo it. Or you could focus on one thing and get, you know, really stiff, like a power lifter that needs, could use some more mobility, or you could be hypermobile like my wife. You got to balance that with strength training. And then Dr. Happiness, which is really, it's our dream. And Paul says that there's two ways you can learn in the world and create effective change. Most people learn through what he calls the pain teacher, right? So crisis occurs. Uh, I've got cancer or, um, you know, my loved one just died. Now I need to do something about my health. A lot of people learn through the pain teacher, or you can utilize Dr. Happiness and create a dream and a vision of your life that goes beyond um, just what, what you consider to be the day-to-day, -day, the norm. And if you follow that thread, that can lead you not only to success and achievement, which are cool side effects, but that can lead you to actually being happy and having a mission in life. And I think following those four doctors um, I think that is the foundational piece that's necessary before one embarks on all the latest technologies and biohacks and nootropics, because with those two together, that's the one, two punch that can lead to incredible things, but there's no nootropic on the planet that can eliminate a bad night's sleep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's no digestive enzyme that will take care of a shit meal. It just doesn't work that way. And I think, uh, right now, a lot of the, um, actually a lot of medicine, a lot of health and wellness and medicine, all of it is so focused on the, um, the mechanistic, the biomechanical approach to human health. And, you know, we now know that the human system is a complex adaptive system. And this is, this is something that, you know, in our practice has driven us over the last um, 10 years is understanding this connection with everything. I mean, the complex adaptive system is its processes and systems. It's not objects. It's not organs. It's not cells. It's the interactions with everything. And, and that doesn't stop at the skin level. You know, we're talking about interactions in the environment. I mean, we've talked um, extensively about 
you know, the importance of interacting with the environment, even such simple things as eating local. I mean, why would that make a difference? Well, it makes a huge difference. And we know this from science now is that, you know, there are exosomes in food, even in vegetables and meats. And, you know, a meat that is stressed is going to supply you exosomes that the body's going to experience. And it's going to get messages that you're in a stressed environment. So we actually are sampling our environment when we're sampling foods and we're taking foods from diverse places that aren't really relevant to us at the local level. And I know you've talked about this with, um, with hunting and hunting of animals locally, especially because you can get that message that those animals are getting from the environment that will inform your cells. And so this whole biosphere, this ecosystem of, of health is where, where things need to go. Yeah, no doubt. Hunting has been an absolute game changer and, and it is something where, you know, Steiner's approach to food through biodynamics in his book, agriculture is, um, it's a lot to chew on for a lot of people, but really his understanding on a spiritual level was that everything was interlocked from the cosmos and, and, you know, where the stars and the position of the moon was at that time to the soil health and quality and the organic material and matter within the soil that the plants or the animals were consuming. And then all the way to that kill, as you mentioned, right? So an animal that's lived in the wild its whole life and is non-domesticated and is eating a, a wide variety of whatever it's called to, you know, because even if there's a main grass that a ruminant likes, it's still going to eat on, on anything that it needs as is necessary. It's going to sniff out and engage with its environment. And that's how it's going to heal. And there's a process for that whole animal's life. And then when you get a clean kill and you harvest that meat yourself and field dress the animal, it's one of the most intimate experiences you can have, you know, and it, it's, it's one of those things where like, I, 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 I think that is one of the main missing ingredients in modern living is understanding how you get food to the table, how you cultivate that. It doesn't mean everybody needs to become a farmer or that everybody needs to hunt for, you know, the only meat I'll consume is meat that I've hunted. That's not, I'm not going taking it that far. And I have buddies that do, and that's okay. It's that even just one experience like that can change the way you view your food and it can bring you into a relationship with the being that you're taking. You know, you're taking that being's body and making it your own. And if it is of the highest integrity uh, in how you kill and process that animal, then that actually matters, you know, and it matters that that animal was living freely its entire life. All those things factor in and the scope of, of the local area, you know, um, Dr. David E. Martin, who's a buddy, he wrote the book Lizards Eat Butterflies. And he talked about how camels uh, in the desert will actually eat all the way down to the sand because there's high levels of salt within the sand and that whole helps them to store water when they can't get water. So there's, there's interactions like that, that we can't possibly understand, you know, of course, and then the camel, the, um, the hunter gatherers out there, they will drink the camel's milk and eat the camel. And that too is a super high level of sodium because of what that animal's engaged with there. So we're, it's going well beyond if it fits your macros, you know, and, and there is a spiritual lens through hunting. There can be, that is profound. I mean, some of the most profound spiritual experiences I've had were, were on hunts. And I think that too is something that, that can be missing because if, if we get this cookie cutter scenario that's handed to us at birth, which is really the case for all of us, and something starts to not feel, um, if something just feels missing, it doesn't even have to feel wrong, 
this can be a way that we connect back to our ancestors, that we connect to our roots. And in that primal action, we can ignite something within us that's been lost. What do you think is uh, the impact of that loss on human health right now? Well, it's a, it's a loss of mind, you know, mental, emotional, and spiritual as well, you know, but that impact is not, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, when I was in college, I was, I was uh, searching for God in all the wrong places. <laughs> I was taking every, we were the number one party school in the nation and I couldn't get drunk enough. I couldn't get high enough, you know, fill in the street drug, couldn't have enough. And um, thankfully I had football to keep me kind of even keel during the seasons, but um, I think there are a lot of people there and it doesn't matter, you know, that some people might scoff at that and say, I'd never do cocaine or something like that. And yet they're, they're hooked on pharmaceuticals and, and whatever the thing is, if it's used to numb, even plant medicine, you know, a lot of people go back to the wishing well a bit too often and they don't take time to integrate that and ground things into the 3d. And if that's the case, we're missing the mark. And it can be something as simple as, hey, there's no path laid before me. It's really hard to, to figure out what's not here when I don't have any idea other than the idea that something's missing. You know, so, so I think people that listen to my podcast and your podcast fundamentally are past that point where they've now started to take matters into their own hands and they're doing the work on themselves. So I'm not, that may not necessarily land with your audience right now, but it's something that they for sure might resonate with them from a different part in their life in the past. I think there's a lot of people right now that are waking up to that. And then certainly, you know, in the last two years, people have come to hard grips with the idea that society can't fail, that it's never been better than it is. Um, we're starting to see cracks in, in multiple forms of how we govern ourselves, how we feed ourselves, how we educate ourselves. And, and thankfully, you know, there are so many solutions already built into the equation and people can self-educate. They can find podcasts like this and they can start to, to train differently. They can start to eat differently. All this stuff is available. And that's one of the beautiful things about, um, you know, all this access to data and information. It can be overwhelming, but with the right pointers from a conversation like this, people can actually start to empower themselves and actually do things that fundamentally shift the way they think, feel and operate. Well, I want to shift some gears here into um, into plant medicine because there's no talk that is ever complete with you without uh, venturing into the the knowledge of the mycelium network of this uh, this great earth. So uh, I would love to hear you retell the story of how you first were introduced to the fantastic fungi. It started with fantastic fungi. Yeah. So, so Maestro Wietzi, my boxing coach, we were doing um, these sweat lodges. He'd bring a lot of fighters in. Sometime he'd bring um, guys from Eastside San Jose, you know, neck tattoos, guys who had hard lives. And um, we'd do the, the TMS call, which is a gnarly sweat. You know, it's not like a sauna. And he would do, you know, warrior sweats and he would sing songs and we'd have conversations and he'd talk about the ways that cultures live differently than the way that we live now. And it was, it was education, you know, and in many ways, probably after a year and a half or two years, I looked at him and I was like, coach, when are we going to use La Medicina? And he just burst out laughing. He was like, Oh, I've been waiting for you to ask. And uh, you know, the first medicine we worked with was psilocybin mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And 
we would actually, and this is completely non-traditional. So for <laughs> all the traditional folks listening about Timus calls and Anipis, uh, that is a ceremony in, in itself. And it's usually not combined with medicine, but for whatever reason, he combined those medicines. So we would take psilocybin after the blessing and, the, and uh, intention, and we would sit in the sweat lodge while it activated. Then we'd come out onto uh, the reservation, which was, you know, being in college, every reservation had a casino on it. This had no running water, no electricity, no lights, nothing. I mean, it was completely untouched other than um, what the caretakers of that land had put in for, for gatherings and things like that. And so being in, you know, in a safe space where I don't have to worry about, you know, cops showing up or anything like that and, and being in a place where there's no one else there. It's not like camping and you have, you know, oh, I might bump into so-and-so like you're just there by yourself with your coach. And that really allowed me to surrender to those experiences. And, and he taught me so much more than the experience itself. You know, he taught me the importance of reverence and respect for the medicine. I had had a couple of experiences with psilocybin prior when I was in school and I was drinking and threw them all on a, on a frozen pizza and ate them. That didn't turn out well, you know, <laughs> so the, the geniuses that laid out the path before us, you know, the, the Terrence McKenna's, the, the Timothy Larry's, you know, set and setting does make a huge difference. And, and that was the palpable feel that I took from that. Um, and really in that, that's where I started to bridge some of the, the Eastern mysticism that I had read about, but had never first had firsthand experience of. Um, I'd ask questions about reincarnation and it would show me viscerally how even my body doesn't die. It just changes form that, that like truly everything is infinite. And, um, uh, animism, you know, the, that, that concept from indigenous cultures that whatever is animating me, whatever soul I have exists in all things. It's permeating through everything through this desk and this computer right now, there's an animating force that alivens all things seen and unseen. And to, you know, I could talk about that now, you know, and Ted Decker uses a great example. You could have, you know, the best artist on the planet paints an avocado and describe you the avocado, but that's not the same thing as eating the avocado. Mm -hmm. you don't know the avocado until you've eaten the avocado, then you know the avocado, right? And, and uh, the mystics called that gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. That's a difference between knowing K-N-O-W. You know, and, and mm -hmm. these spiritual teachings were, were now being gifted to me in a visceral way where it became gnosis. And it became so undeniable that I could no longer look at the world the way that I used to. I mean, we weren't huge into the church growing up, but I did go to Sunday school on occasion and things like that. And I had a lot of questions that weren't answered, you know, in those, those gatherings. And, mm -hmm. and this fundamentally was able to answer any question I had, not all of them, but um, many and much more than that, you know, they have the saying, it's, you, you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. And I think that's certainly true for plant medicines. Mm -hmm. um, I've always gotten what I needed and then some. And so I have the utmost respect and gratitude for those experiences. And, you know, I've had some hellish dark night of the soul experiences from, from medicines as well. And thankfully I've been able to track myself back having people like, um, you know, Paul Check and, and, uh, and different great masters to learn from that have been down the rabbit hole quite a ways and, and have found themselves out as well. 
yeah, you're pretty, pretty well known for some of those heroic, uh, ventures. Uh, you know, it reminds me of that old country song. I'll never smoke weed with Willie again. I mean, you never do shrooms with Kyle again. Uh, you know, <laughs> Taking, taking your wife on her first journey was uh, was quite the story. And then the story of you doing 30 grams at one time. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it wasn't me that dosed my wife on her first journey. I thought, <laughs> I'll, I'll just state that one. I brought an ounce of Golden Teacher and we were going to have, um, you know, it was supposed to be my wife and I, her first journey and about five other fighters. And one by one on my way to the reservation, they'd call me up and cancel. I mean, last, 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 last minute. And so we get there and I tell Weetzi, I said, hey, you know, it's just me and her. Everyone else canceled. Um, give us what you think we need. And knowing it's her first journey and um, take the rest as a gift. So out of the bag, he pulled out two stem and caps, dehydrated and split the rest for us. Now, I'm, I'm not a... <laughs> I'm not great at math, but that's probably pretty close to like 13.8 grams each. Yeah. The first journey, about half an ounce a piece. Um, so yeah, and she, she did fantastic. I was going to say she had a great journey too. He yeah. Knew, yeah. He knew better than I, and he trusted in that. And I trusted him and it, and it worked out perfectly. The 30 gram, you know, it's funny. The guy I learned it from, I had a, um, I know we'll talk about fit for service in a bit here, but I had one of the members from Fit for Service, so I'm very close with, uh, Carrie, who works at Kakuya. She sent me a video from Kalindi Ai, and Kalindi Ai, uh, who recently passed away, he was a guy who was known for doing 20 to 30 gram journeys for probably two decades. He was an older guy, um, not super old, but I think late 50s, lifelong martial artist. He understood the history of plant medicines in Africa, and just a brilliant, brilliant dude. And I, I first thing I saw, I was like, this is bullshit. Nobody had, who would take that much? It's, it, it probably, my guess is most people is that there is a ceiling and that anything past that didn't make any bit of difference. And having had a couple of five gram, you know, Terrence McKenna heroic doses, I just thought it was nonsense. But then after I sent that response, just something kept pulling at me. Like, no, watch the video. Don't discredit this guy. And so I, I watched one of his videos, then I watched all of his videos on YouTube, and I was blown away by his presence, his groundedness, uh, his ability to articulate what those journeys were like, and not get lost in the translation of a trip report. And, um, you know, he was more grounded than many people I'd bumped to in an ayahuasca circle. And uh, I really respected that. And so you know, I had had a few journeys in the Amazon with ayahuasca where I had asked, like, how do I engage at a level like this when I'm home? And it showed me these golden mushrooms with a black canvas behind it, like mushrooms sprouting and growing. And I was like, ayahuasca is teaching me to use psilocybin right now. And then I asked the dose and it showed me seven, seven went away, nine, 11, 14. It just showed me how to tinker my way up. And I was like, real, I had never had this is of course before Kalindi came along and um, in my field at least. And uh, so knowing I had the nod from Aya to start to increase doses and, and really coming into deep resonance, I felt like he was giving me permission, you know? And, and one thing he says, and I'll warn the listeners <laughs> is that you go up in two gram increments. You don't just, you know, five grams, your highest dose. Don't jump to 30, jump to seven and play there and then jump to nine. Don't do what I did. Um, but yeah, I had had a 14 gram dose. I had had other big doses. I had 10 grams of, of penis MB at one point. 
Now, the reason I got to the 30 grams of penis in me, which is a very strong, um, very strong strain of, of, uh, of psilocybin is because I didn't think it was penis in me. You know, I'd had a microdose uh, before I fought Jason Ellis in a, um, uh, like a charity boxing match. And it was phenomenal. I'd never microdosed when I fought in the UFC. And I was like, this is the way, this is amazing. And so I took that same dose with this new batch before I rematched him, but a number of other factors were off and it didn't quite feel the same. I didn't fight the same. So I made the assumption those were not the medicine I thought they were. Only later did I find out that those were in fact uh, the very potent strain of penis in me. So I had, I had set my intentions out, you know, quite a while, months ahead of time. Um, I did everything I could to ground and be in my body. You know, the preparation was I fasted for 24 hours. I saw an ice bath to clean and purify. And, and um, I did a long session with the juve light to really activate the mitochondria and switch my cells on. And of course, you know, prayers with tobacco and writing out the intentions and all that. And, um, you know, I ground those up and I drank them in a shaker cup with water. And the onset was like nothing else. I mean, I was to DMT level within 15 minutes, probably. And wow. this lasted three and a half hours. So it wasn't as long as a normal journey likely because of fasting and everything else that i had done with that um soon enough i mean there was no such thing as time and most of the experience was that i was out of body for it my main takeaways i mean i i saw my son's soul for the first time where i really got to see the 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 amount of wisdom his soul carries mm -hmm. fundamentally changed the way i parent because i saw him as my wise teacher not the other way around and uh, that's something I can I continue to circle back to as a dad when I have to parent. He's being a six year old is like I recognize where you're at right now. And I also see the full length of time of what you're carrying with you. And I'm going to honor that. But um, that was my first real trip into darkness. It was also the first time I saw beings. I've never seen beings on on DMT or anything like that. But you know, there was a couple beings at the edge of the bed and they looked as Kalindi described large eyeballs, insect like, and, uh, speaking in a clicking tongue. And I didn't understand it. I literally said, like, I don't know what you guys are saying. Is it cool? And they would just touch me at different places in my body. And I'd feel a ball of love and warming energy move through that part of my body. And that settled me down. And I realized, okay, they're for me. I am being guided, even though it was a solo journey. And it allowed me to relax, relax into that. And then at a certain point, um, there was a mandala in front of me and it started spinning and coming out onto my chest. And I was waving it in like, come here, little buddy. <clears throat> Not afraid of it at all. And I could see it looked like, a, like this glass you're drinking right now. I know we're doing just audio, but a cup of water that's filled to the top. It, you can see that kind of blurred rim on the outside. And, and it had that blurred rim separating it from the rest of the room. And I looked inside it. It was pitch black. And I was like, oh, you're the darkness. And I just asked one question. Can I, is it okay to go in there? And I thought for a second, and the answer was yes. From that point on, I had no recollection of anything that happened prior. I didn't remember taking the mushrooms, any of it. And uh, I went through five layers of my personal hell. The first of which, you know, um, my wife and I had, had miscarried in between uh, Bear's birth and Wolf's birth. And we desperately were trying to get uh, Wolf to be born. We've been trying for several years. And um, finally, we were pregnant again. And so that first layer was her miscarrying again. 
you know, and I relived that over and over and over again. The only way out was to fully surrender to it. It was only when I didn't give a shit, like completely didn't give a shit, not on paper. There was plenty of times where I was like, please no more. Okay. I get the message. I get the message, turn it off. And it was gut wrenching, you know, and, 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 um, disgusting in many ways, you know, graphic as graphic can be like me witnessing these things. And, uh, I remember telling Duncan Trussell about that. And he said, Oh yeah, that reminds me of Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Abandon all hope ye who enter here. And I was like, Holy shit. That's it. That's the key code. Abandon all hope ye who enter here. And I really thought about that. I thought that was like a hell is bad. Don't come here. Abandon all hope. You know, like that kind of a warning sign. And I realized like that's the key code out. And so it was only when I relinquished any hope of it being different and finally came to terms with that, that I got to move on. And, Mm-hmm. A lot of people ask me, like, would you ever do that again? Or that really sucks. I don't even want to take five grams now. And I said, you know, it took me a while to integrate and understand it. But that was the greatest report card I ever could have asked for. Because what it showed me were, first and foremost, my conscious fears that I was living with. And then a lot of unconscious fears that I had, you know, in those later, later, later levels of hell. And whatever fear I'm carrying with me, it's it, fear is a good thing. You're never going to eliminate it. Um, chronic fear, not a good thing. Mm-hmm. No, chronic, chronic negativity will have its impact on the body. It will create dis-ease. No matter where that stress is coming from, that will manifest physically if I don't get rid of that or attend it. And so really what it was showing me was these are the fears that I walk with every day. This is the background chatter that's, that's uh, influencing the operating system. And until I actually release that, I'm not free. Yeah. And I, you know, I haven't done it since then. That's how much respect I have for it, but it is something that, you know, one of the few journeys that I hold in the highest regard, you know, and, and in no order, but it's a top five for sure. One of the most important experiences I've ever had in my life and the scariest by far, no doubt. Yeah. I, I have found that the, the journeys that create the uh, existential crisis tend to be the most growth oriented in the in the end. Sometimes it takes some time to to integrate, but in the end, it truly is the growth oriented. I mean, everybody wants to have the, you know, the really fantastic journey and you know see all the great visuals and meet all the great people and and uh, just have a grand old time with it. But you you do if if you don't embrace the, the suck, sometimes it, uh, you're going to miss out. So yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, in talking about, um, you know, Tosh and the, and the kids, I mean, you guys have incorporated a great deal of kind of the ancestral into the parenting, you know, Mike and I always say, you know, you guys would be great teachers of, how to parent a, a child in this new um, kind of bringing together of the ancestral and the modern, because I mean, you know, bear is truly exceptional. Um, bear bears a six-year-old that's he's, he's like a super muscular Mowgli from, from Disney's uh, movie. And he walks, he's barefoot everywhere he goes. He's got this long flowing golden hair and he's the most inquisitive kid I've ever met. He's truly exceptional. And, um, and then we, Mike and I had the honor of being present uh, the night before Tosh uh, delivered Wolf um, 
for the um, just the I guess four or five of us there and um, by Lana and Marcus she she did a sound bowl uh, prayer for them and it was just absolutely beautiful so talk a little bit about you know the way you've approached parenting and child birth and child rearing here yeah, that's that's uh thank you for that. And that was incredibly special. Vailana is one of a kind. There's mm -hmm. no no doubt about it. Um, you know, it is a process of learning. And as I talk about stuff, I, I have the tendency to to say the 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 how-to guide without <laughs> without first saying like it is a it is a mind fuck and one of the most challenging experiences anyone will ever go through. And there's I think there's some reason for that. You know, the 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 Hopi said that no parent was allowed to parent the kids. And even in conversations with God, God says, if you want to believe that's God talking through Neil Donald Walsh, that child uh, rearers were never supposed to be child raisers. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that once you were unable to have kids is when you were qualified to raise kids. And so that is one of the, the uphill battles that we face with, you know, especially in the West without having multi-generational homes and without having a tribe, it does take a village. It truly does. Um, thankfully, we've got so many great aunties and uncles. And um, through the podcast and the desire to learn more, we've had access to great experts and, and different people that have recommended books along the way. But there are some, you know, some, some easy principles that I've really landed home with me. Uh, Steiner, who created Waldorf Schools, um, he was really big into pacing kids that it wasn't about shoveling information down their throats. You know, early on, there's, they do three years of kindergarten, you know, four, five, and six, and then they learn how to be a rookie, a middle school, and then the, the, the elder that teaches the younger kids. And then they also know every grade they go through, a kid ahead of two, two grades ahead of them and two grades behind them. It's a brilliant approach. Um, but they don't start really diving into anything until third grade. That's when they learn a second language. That's when they get introduced to music. And so I think one of the misnomers right now is, is A, we're comparing everybody to some standard. B, we're doing a lot quickly. And, and that leads to issues around buy-in. You know, and I'll, I'll bridge into that discipline issues and, and modern medicine in a second. But really for me as a dad, if I can take off the need for him to do all of these things and be all of these things as a whole, that's going to help. But um, you know, one of the biggest takeaways I've had from many medicine journeys is play, play more. So I think that's, that's such an, one of the most perfect ways to bridge the gap with your child, whether they're bouncing off the wall or not listening or anything is to play, it's to meet them there in play. And in doing so, getting outside as often as possible, you can't, you can't beat that. You really can't. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, how, we are completely interacting with our environment and science is just catching up to that. I remember when they post at on it, we wrote an article about um, forest bathing because <laughs> a Japanese study had come out and said, you know, 60% reduction was found in depression. If you went for a 30 minute walk in a forest and that wasn't seen, if you went for a walk in a city, it's like, why is that? Well, there's all sorts of stuff you're engaging with from the trees, the smells and, um, and the polyphenols and every, you know, the pheromones that are being released, that's interacting with you. So that should be for the kids as well. You know, that should be something where they're not stuck in a desk. And really, you know, thanks to the guys like Aaron Alexander and Kelly Sturrett, you've, you've eaten at our house. Everything's on the ground. We have a, a Japanese-sized table that's like a coffee table 
with the yoga bolsters that we sit on Indian style. And that's where we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Our couches have been deconstructed. So it's just couch cushions with pillows on the wall on the floor. Now that's great for newborns, but it's just great for, it's great for adults as well. How often you get up and down off the ground makes a big difference, not just in your physical nature, but in how you think, feel, and operate. So we've got a hundred square feet of MMA mats, you know, in the, in the downstairs where it's hard. And then upstairs, we've got two king size beds as our couches also on the floor, no box spring. So everything's an invitation to get on the ground. Everything's an invitation to play. Uh, you know, for Christmas this year, Wolfie got a, a big giant wooden jungle gym that she can climb on and slide down and do stuff like that. And to my surprise, not to my surprise, Bear loves it. When his oh, friends sure. come over, all they want to do is play on that thing, right? And it was designed for smaller kids, but it's awesome. I mean, it's absolutely awesome. And so it's, it's engagement in movement practices. And they actually teach that in Waldorf. They call it eurythmy, where it's, it's sound and spatial awareness taught as one. So through a song, you follow the teacher, hands come in, hands come out, and Bear sings that prayer, hands together, <laughs> hands apart. You know, and he goes through the whole thing where they're mimicking the bees and the butterflies and the flowers and the connection to nature. A simple song like that, if you understand it, goes so much further than just, hey, memorize this song. It has to, it has to do with reconnecting us to the greater whole, reconnecting us to our planet, reconnecting us to where our food actually comes from, thanking the earth, the soil, the bees, the sunshine, the water, all of those things are baked into a song like that. And while they're doing that, they're moving their body in different ways where they can learn spatial awareness. Anybody who's got a young kid, it's a close talker or the first time your kid jumps right on your balls um you're like hey man like i need some space here that ain't gonna work um so i think songs like that is a part of the education and music is such a big deal i mean the, the anybody who's experienced uh any plant medicine or altered state of consciousness will will recognize if music was played you have a completely different re relationship with music after that it changes your relationship to music and you can take that further into something like, hey, you know, my first journeys with ayahuasca, they played on an iPod. Fantastic songs. But there's a big difference between that and someone singing live to you, singing ikros mm -hmm. or playing guitar. That's a completely different experience. For sure. And it's this engagement with that environment, with the technology of sound that does all sorts of stuff to our being, you know. And so we've got uh, hand pan and Native American ceremonial drum and uh, Native American flutes and just all sorts of little toys scattered around upstairs and downstairs. So anytime they can grab an instrument and start playing. And uh, of course, you know, we got Sono speakers through every room and we play a lot of different um, music from different cultures. They listen to a lot of Indian music from the East. They listen to, you know, Native American music, they listen to hip hop, they listen to all of it. Classical music, Best of Tchaikovsky is, is uh, one of their favorites. And, and it's this engagement with things that really brings joy it settles them when they're uncomfortable and then being outside you know bear bear's been saving up money for a while from the tooth fairy and from allowance and things like that and he made his first big purchase you got to teach kids about money too that's something that's also not taught in education <laughs> primarily but he 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 took i think 200 dollars out of his his piggy bank and he spent half i told him i'd meet him halfway and he bought a stand-up paddleboard we use that all summer long and all fall you know yeah. Barton Springs, out at different places, and Wimberley, just all over Texas, there's water. And um, 
I think getting outside is one of the primary focuses we have getting on the floor, wrestling and tickling and playing. Even if you didn't fight in the UFC, just engaging with kids that way so much. You look at animals, they're always engaging. You know, they're always playing like that, whether it's a puppy with its with its other puppy sisters and brothers or a lion. They're always fucking with each other. They're always wrestling and biting on each other and playing that way. And I think, you know, both Tosh and I, I think, and Bear and Wolf likely are um, touch is our is our most important lung love language. Mm. And so with that, that's such an easy way to engage that outside of massage and back scratches and things, which are also important. But um, just playing on the ground and wrestling, I think those are those are pretty key things. I, I know I'm getting long winded here, but I wanted to bring up one more point. Um, from Dr. Thomas Cowan, who was on my podcast recently, mm-hmm. he talked about the book "Deschooling Society" by Ivan Illich, and I think it's it's one of the best books I read in 2021. Um, and he just gave a he gave an example. You know, he said that if Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors announced on Twitter he was going to have a shooting seminar, how many people do you think would show up? And I was like, everyone and their mom. And he said, of course. He goes, do you think there'd be anybody acting out or having a disciplinary issue? And I was like, hell no, you showing up for Steph Curry in a shooting seminar. And he's like, okay, well, what if someone did? What if one kid did? He's like, well, all the other kids would beat his ass for, for not because mm-hmm. everyone has full buy-in, right? And that's such an easy story for us to say yes to. When there's buy-in, you fully eliminate disciplinary issues. No kid has ADHD when they have 100% buy-in, right? So like you wipe all that out when you get somebody... Um, who really wants to learn what they're learning. And so an example he gave was a, a Waldorf teacher who had, had left that school and she just works with four kids uh, between the ages of 10 and 12. And those four kids, when they met her, not a single one of them knew how to read. And within two years, they were taking college level courses in what they wanted to know about, mm-hmm. what they wanted to learn. That's how fast, I mean, you, you know the potential of humans here. When we take them out of the cookie cutter, run of the mill, sit down, do this, do that, do this. And people don't know why, but you're still told it's important. When you take a kid out of that environment and you allow them to focus on the things they're really curious about, they're really good at it. They really want to know. And you can see how fast they learn. Bear can tell you anything about volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis. He loves natural disasters. So that's what we're focusing on. And a little bit of of, uh, hooked on phonics. And that's great. That's all he needs. You know, let's be active. Let's move our bodies. We'll practice some fine motor skills like sewing and different things like that that can help him zero in. Um, I've been taking him to gun range as well. He loves that. He's getting bullseye after bullseye. Santa brought him a, a Beretta M9, shoots a 22 nice. LR, and he's he just drilling bullseye after bullseye with it. He loves it. And that helps him zero in. That helps him really listen and be quiet. And um, it's really just thinking about that. Like, what are the different things? that we can do that provide variety and then letting them decide from that variety, what do they really love and want to focus on? Yeah. Yeah. I can remember, uh, I think it was probably the first time I met bear. He took me up to his room to show me his rock collection, told me all about the geology of the rock, but also told me about the spiritual, uh, characteristics of the crystals that he had as well. I was just like, okay, this kid has got it. He's, he's figured it out. Um, but, you know, you talk about the importance of play for kids, but, you know, and I think this is a nice segue into talking about a little bit about fit for service. You're in Aubrey's um, uh, kind of collective there, but adults don't 
play enough. They don't get on the floor and play. And, you know, one of the aspects of what you do with fit for service is teach people how to play again. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, and that's look, make things convenient. That was another thing I learned from, from Aaron Alexander. If everything's on the floor, you've only got one option, mm. right? Like I got to get down and, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of science on what are the first things to go hip mobility, things like that. Can you get up and down from the floor properly? That's life extension like that. You can think about telomeres and all these different things, but grip strength and can you get up and down off the floor? Those are pretty important when we're talking longevity. So you curate that, you know, I, I, I bought a sauna and an ice bath when I didn't have the money for it. I paid for it on credit and it mm. chipped away. I didn't purchase now, but I did it at the time because I knew that having it would give us the opportunity to use it more often. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's really about creating your environment at home and everywhere you go where you get, if I walk by that ice bath three days and I haven't been in it. I'm, there's a part of me that's like, get in it now. And I'll <laughs> listen to that because it's right there. Right. So fit for service was something that, that Aubrey came to from a journey at Don Howard's place, spirit quest, uh, working with the medicine Wachuma. And he really saw it as a way to build community and a way to, to bring people together that wanted to know everything we were up to. What is the behind the scenes stuff, you know, that, that we weren't talking about it on it, that, um, you know, the most transformative experiences we can give legally and go through those things together. And it's, it's really turned into something far more than we ever could have imagined. You know, we we're in it. This is our fourth year coming up or right now we're in year four, but in the three years that we've had, we've had some people stay with us all the way through. We've had a lot of people come and go but everyone stays in contact with one another. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, some people, when you say they're making lifelong friends, how can you tell only three years in? Well, we've had people meet in fit for service who are now married with kids. So, I mean, whether they like it or not, yeah. they're, they're going to know each other for the rest of their lives. Right. And that's, that says a lot. It says a lot more than how many businesses were started because of this or any of that kind of stuff. You know, these are the intangibles that actually matter. And really over the last two years, I mean, it, it's something you can't look away from anymore. Something that where we, we really do need each other. And I think that's one of the greatest teachings. One of the greatest gifts of lockdown is this understanding that you cannot replace face to face. You mm-hmm. cannot replace hugging and holding somebody. You cannot replace being in an ecstatic dance with 200 people and not giving a shit what anyone else thinks, but just letting your body move you. And, um, you know, the breath work that we do like that, uh, I, I follow, you know, after working with you guys, I definitely follow, you know, you and Micra on um, the Zen style breathing, you know, half the belly in, half the belly out. That's my primary breathing for many reasons. But if I save that Wim Hof style, the the transformative style simply for a ceremony, which it can be, um, that can be as profound as plant medicine, you know, and that's perfectly legal. And that's one of the things that we take people through. And full on, you know, it's a visionary state. It's an altered state of consciousness. So when Aubrey came to me and he said, hey, I, this is something I want to do. I was just ecstatic. I was like, I'm in. So we, we got me, we got him, we got Eric Godsey, we got Caitlin Howe and Vailana. And we bring in experts from every field. We've had East Forest come and play ceremonial music. We've had Paul Selig come and channel for the group. Um, Matias Stefano from, from Gaia TV's initiation come and, and do a lot. And, and uh, 
you know, Jamie wheels coming to our next event. One of the fellow neurohacker collective guys, you know, one of, uh-huh. a dear friend of mine. So we grab people from all walks of life that where their knowledge base stretches far beyond ours. And those are the people we bring in to help teach and guide. And then we walk people through these transformative experiences. And what happens on the other side is uh, it's more than the quantifiable, you know, and, and these things can't shift people and change people in a way that's lasting. And that's really what we wanted to do. It's what we wanted to create. And it's been uh, a real treat to be a part of that. And again, just as fighting did, it lit that fire into my ass to learn more. I get, we get so many questions, you know, every week we're doing Q and A's and engaging with the, with the group before and after we have our five day meetup. That to me has been another great fire lit under my ass to know more and understand more. And um, we're doing a lot of different stuff this year. We've got immersives coming up for the first time. So we've shrunk the length of time for the main events. Um, still a five-day meetup, but they're going to be 10 weeks long instead of four months long. That actually gives us a break. Yeah. I haven't had a day off in three years. So that was very nice of Aubrey to suggest that. And uh, we get to do immersives. This first one sold out, but I'm going to be walking 30 people through a five-day fasting mimicking diet. Wow. We're going to do that together. They're going to get medically cleared through ways to well. We'll have blood work done beforehand, all included. Uh, Emily Fletcher's Ziva meditation. People are going to be getting online access to that and learning how to meditate, some of which the first time. That was one of the most powerful meditation programs I've ever gone through. I worked with her uh, three days st- straight and immersive, and that com- fundamentally changed the way I meditate. Yeah. So many gifts, many practices. We get to do you know, all these tools that I've amassed we get to actually do them together in a small group and have a deep dive on dream analysis with Godzi and internal family systems and all sorts of cool stuff. And that's just one of many, you know, we've got a couple's one coming up in February for, for people that want to learn how to date singles, but equal male to female. And and it's like (laughs) sparks will fly. I mean, it's just, there's no day, there's no way around it. And, uh, I think of things like that, you know, these smaller immersives that can be more intimate where we really do get to know everybody that's there. And then, really adding to um, the core, the core meetups that we have. You know, we're going to do one here in Lockhart. Aubrey just got that 120 acre ranch that my yeah. wife and I will be caretakers of. Super pumped to be on that land and have people there. Oh, you're going to be living and, there? Uh, oh, we're going to be living there. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Boy. Nice. Yeah. I love it. It's only 30 minutes from the airport, 45 yeah. to downtown. So not too far. And it's got um, nice, nice quarters on it already too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are absolutely stoked for that. So we'll have people there. We're going to do an event in the big sky somewhere in Wyoming or Montana. That'll be more burning man style, like a two or three day festival. We'll bring in Nako and East forest and a lot of the great musicians. We'll probably bring in NQ to do a poetry uh, workshop and some other people that we've had in the past. And then a lot of just fantastic talks. Charles Eisenstein has been out to one of our events yeah. and he's just phenomenal. One of my favorite people on the planet. Um, then we'll finish as we do every year in Sedona at Ob's Ranch there, which is like no other place, you know, it. you know, it's, it's really interesting to see how this is happening though. I mean, we're seeing, it's funny because our small group of people, you know, me, uh, you, Aubrey, Jamie, um, they all have their own little groups of collectives that are all bringing together their communities into this. And, and we create this network among them. I mean, Jamie's um flow flow groups and then you know our our Atay collective and then the fit for service uh and they're it's funny because they're all in austin too i mean they're all centered <laughs> centered here even though we go other places but uh it's a great community here and and seeing how these grassroots communities are growing 
in in small groups that that are interconnecting with each other is just beautiful to see. I mean, it's not something we've seen before, especially with all of the uh, the deurbanization and all that we're seeing here in the in the world. We we lose a lot of the community aspects. Yeah, well, it's it's the comeback that's that's long been awaited for and is uh, you know divinely timed for sure yeah and actually this is uh you know one of the founders of neurohacker daniel schmachtenberger you know uh i mean he's preached this since the i can't remember when and and now it's actually starting to uh really manifest so it's beautiful to see yeah that's incredible daniel's an incredible mind as well he's i think yeah. he just recently did another one on aubrey's podcast that i'm, I'm just starting to chew through and it's always fantastic hearing yeah. what he's got to say well, Kyle, as usual, it was absolutely fantastic to talk with you. Um, you know, we, we've had great conversations just sitting around talking, and uh, I always say I wish we recorded them. Now we have one. So uh, yeah. perfect. Oh, Let's yeah, get bro. together I, soon, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. I got to get you and Mike around mine as well. For sure. All right, man. Take care. Thank you, brother. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement, and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective.